All right, if I can bring you back to your seats, that would be amazing. Good morning. The Lord be with you. Uh, my name is Troy, and really happy uh, to be with us today in this space and with you at home. Um, Delwyn uh, began this morning reminding us it's February 28th. It's not just the end of the month, of Black History Month, it's also a birthday of one of my dear friends. And so I want to say happy birthday to Todd Hook, who um, actually, actually Todd is a leap year baby, so he doesn't get a birthday but for every four years, but we count this as his birthday. Um, and incidentally, uh, Todd has been making noise on Sundays in about this general area. Um, He's been here since February the 7th of 1999. Todd was here on the first Sunday playing drums. And for whatever reason, he remains with us. And I'm so grateful for you and for your partnership and your family and your presence in our church. Happy birthday to you. Um, one day we will share a meal or something together to mark uh, your birthday. Um, and happy birthday to anyone else who's born today, as, for that matter. I'm sorry if I didn't also give you a, a, a greeting, but happy birthday. Um, we continue with our Messiah series today and with a story that is probably familiar to many of us. Peter's denial of Jesus. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a turn in this Messiah series to some heavy texts. We spend all of Lent in the last handful of hours of Jesus' life. And so we're trying to take smaller chunks in order to emotionally help us to endure the progress that we're making over these next couple of weeks. But we are in this familiar story with us today. And I was joking with a couple of people this past week that this could very well be the shortest sermon I ever preach. Because it seems when you come to this text that there's one takeaway. Don't do it. Right? Don't deny Jesus. Let us pray. Um, it seems like that's probably what we could say about this particular text. But I got to be honest with you, I've spent some time with it the rest of this week, and there are probably some more things we could learn. So I'm going to share more than a single sentence. Mwah, mwah. Um, before I do, here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you to talk. So, uh, if you're in this space, if you're at home, this is what I want to ask you to do. I want you to take 60 seconds without looking at your Bibles, and I want you to tell the story of Peter denying Jesus. Okay? Here's some help. Here may be some bullet points for you as we try to track this thing down. Think about this. Who's involved in the story? Who are the cast of characters in the story? Okay? Second, what is Peter directly asked? Okay? Third, how does Peter answer? And then fourth, how does the scene wrap up? What does Peter ultimately, how does he ultimately respond at the end of this scene? Does this make sense? So I know 60 seconds is not a long time, so somebody take it away, somebody start. I, I'm legitimately asking you to talk out loud. I'm going to give you one minute to tell the story of Peter denying Jesus. Same for you at home, take 60 seconds, and then we will keep going.
All right, I know that wasn't enough time, but we're going to move on. How do you think you did? Think you did all right? Excellent. Excellent. I went to Awana. Um, uh, uh, some of you have probably anticipated the wrinkle in the question. Because the story of Peter denying Jesus is told in four different Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the trick part of this question is that all four of these versions of the story are different. So it depends on which story you were telling. Likely, many of us told a combination of all four of the stories into one story. Um, That's not a problem. But what I wanted to do before we jump into this, because it could be very, very tempting to say, I know the story. I've heard it a billion times. Um, it may be helpful and instructive for us to pay attention to how the story is told across all four of these Gospels. There are some things that are the same, right? Peter's always in the story. Big surprise, right? There are always three denials, and there's always a rooster, all right? But beyond that, most of the stories go on divergent paths, They tell different things in the story. Now, I'm not interested in creating some kind of controversial conversation about the Bible. I'm not here to poke holes in the thing. I'm simply naming that each one of these authors chose to emphasize particular details for their audience. And it would be helpful for us to know which story are we talking about? Which particular telling are we dealing with? So here's what I want to do. Before we get to today's text, I want to look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke see where the commonalities and where the paths diverge a little bit, and then we're going to look at John, okay? So here's a fast drive-by as we look at cast of characters. In Matthew, we have two different servant girls and a group of people that are called those standing around. Those are like the extras on the scene, right? Um, Mark has only one servant girl in the story and another batch of folks who are just milling about. Luke's account has a servant girl and two other men who are a part of the story. Um, When we talk about what is uh, the question that Peter gets asked, there's a little more congruency when we look at this. Really across the three gospel accounts, they all pose the similar question to Peter. Were you with Jesus Um, And are you one of them? Now that last bit doesn't really get fleshed out. We don't know what that means. Likely it's it's asking him, are you one of the disciples of Jesus, right? Um, Matthew, um, uh, his accent gets pointed out in Matthew. They notice something different about him. Mark and Luke say, you're obviously from Galilee, okay? When we look at how does Peter respond? How does he answer? Um, We get some variation throughout the gospels. Matthew has Peter claiming ignorance. I don't know what you're talking about, he says. I don't know who this man is. Mark adds that Peter doesn't understand what's being asked. I don't, I don't understand the question. In Matthew and in Mark, they stress that Peter feels so strongly that he calls down curses while he answers. Did you remember that part? Calls down curses while he answers. Intensity. And then we look at Luke. 
Um, and Luke has uh, Peter say man or woman, depending on who he's talking to, likely trying to also stress, I'm feeling something strong here. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Woman, I don't know the man, this kind of a thing. Um, and so we see across there, there are no curses in Luke, but still really strong emotions. And then finally, how does Peter ultimately respond in both Matthew and Mark? Um, they both stress that Peter remembers the words of Jesus and he weeps. He weeps bitterly. He breaks down. But then in Luke, we get a detail that's found nowhere else. Luke alone talks about this, that evidently Peter is so close to where Jesus was that they make eye contact. How about that for drama? The text says that the Lord looks straight at Peter and he remembers. That's intensity. That's a dramatic moment right there. And then he still remembers Jesus' words. He responds with bitter weeping. So you can see there's some variation in these stories. Depending on what story you're telling, depending on what author is narrating this story, you get some different details. So um, I want to know, how does John tell the story? And to get to that, I want to invite my friend Joelle to come and read our text for us today. She's going to help us to look at this part of the story of John. If you want to follow along, we'll be in John chapter 18. She's going to start at verse 15 for us today, and uh, we'll hear a little bit of that, and then I'll wrap it up with a couple of other verses. Thank you, Joel. So great. Peter's first denial. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus, because this disciple was known to the high priest who went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside of the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You are not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. Thank you. It says that it was cold. And the servants and the officials, they stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. And Peter was also standing there with them, warming himself. We move on to verse 25. It says, meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself, and so these standing around asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied it again, saying, I am not. And one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? And again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. The word of the Lord. So John has a few unique details that don't show up in the other versions of this scene. For his cast of characters, we have a servant girl, as before, some officials like the other versions, but unique to his story, we have this relative of Malchus. Malchus, the guy whose ear Peter cut off in the garden, his relative is here. And we have another disciple, probably the, gospel, uh, the, the Apostle Paul, who's standing, uh, uh, John, sorry, the Apostle John. He's standing around, he's sort of an eyewitness to this scene. He's attesting that these things actually happen. He's lending some credibility to what happened. So the cast of characters gets a little broader in John's telling. Um, Peter gets asked uh, some really pointed questions in John. He's directly asked if he is a disciple. And he's asked if he was in the garden with Jesus. 
And uncomfortably, he's asked about being in the garden by this relative whose family member was attacked in the garden. What a scene. Peter's responses, they're very succinct, almost no detail. It's recorded that he says, I am not. No emotional tone, no curses, just sort of simply. And then finally, unique to John, there isn't any sort of recorded reaction of Peter when the rooster crows. We don't hear anything. We don't know what happened. Peter denies being in the garden, and the rooster gets the last word. That's what we've got, a unique telling in John's gospel. It's fascinating, isn't it? I find that really helpful to realize that the story that we're telling matters based on who the author is. So, we're obviously in the book of John for our Messiah series. What does John's particular telling have to offer to us? What is John seeking to emphasize? So I'm going to offer just a couple of observations because I think there's more for us in this story than a simple strategy of don't deny Jesus. I think there's something else going on here. So two main observations. The first is this. Let's think about the cast of characters. Particularly, let's think about this servant girl. Every one of the Gospels mentions her, so she's a consistent figure. But in John, there's more recorded interaction with this girl. Scholars are really quick to point out that it's likely she's not really on duty. And it doesn't take a lot of imagination to think about this. In this sort of tense moment, why would a small servant girl be at the door guarding who can get in and get out? It's likely that she's doing somebody else's job. She's more appropriately probably considered a servant's servant in this moment. And every one of the Gospels points out her gender, that this is a girl. This is important because unfortunately in this culture at that time, this is a bad combination to be a servant and a girl. So when we come across this figure, when we come across this character, we need to pay attention because we're probably being given a clue how the people in the story would have seen her. Frankly, if they saw her at all, they would have seen her as a largely insignificant person. So when Peter asks, gets asked a question by her, we should pay attention to how does Peter respond to a largely insignificant person. And we see. Now we're primed when we get to this section to interpret and see whatever Peter says is Peter denying Jesus. And that is true. But I want to zoom out a little bit and I want us to name what is Peter fundamentally doing in this scene? He's lying. Let's just call it what it is. He's lying to a little girl. I am not, he says when she asks him, are you a disciple? I think one of the questions that we need to face when we come to this story, and we come to this particular part of the story, is this. Are there people that you and I do not consider significant enough or worthy enough to speak the truth to? Are there people 
that we find a justification for half-truths, partial truths, flat-out lies? Are there some people that are easier for us to lie to than others? Are there some folks that we would say, I mean, it, does it make a difference really? They are only fill in the blank. I see this sometimes in the, in the ways that some adults interact with children. Or maybe with somebody that we'll never see again. Or with a stranger. Or maybe somebody who's currently experiencing homelessness. Or maybe it's a waitress. Or a bank teller. Or a gas station attendant. Or a barista. Or maybe it's a family member or it's a difficult coworker, somebody who you know is going to get upset or who's just want to get it's going to want to get into something and you would just rather not go there. Or maybe it's someone who isn't a Christian. Maybe it's somebody who is legitimately an enemy of yours. Whatever that means, are there some people that are easy to justify not telling the truth? In Bruner's commentary on the book of John, he wrote this. He said, Peter may have honestly felt that his very casual and offhanded, not me or I am not, to a mere gatekeeper could not possibly count as a real denial of Jesus. Are there people, certain people, that you see and you think, a little lie or a little half-truth, it can't possibly be a big deal. It can't possibly hurt anything. I think one of the lessons of this story for us is to recognize the significance of truth-telling to all people. That no one deserves to be lied to, to be deceived. That there's no justification for even the least significant in our eyes of people. May we pay attention to our temptations to speak truth to some people but not to others. May we pay attention to the ways that we see some people as more significant and others not so much. My second observation is this. And let's focus on what Peter actually denies. Because unlike in some of the other versions of this story, uh, Peter's response is not that he doesn't know Jesus. In John's version, he denies being a disciple. Now, I know that this might seem like semantics. This might seem like a small degree of difference, but hang with me here because there is something significant in the difference here with Peter. Peter certainly indirectly denies knowing Jesus, but he very directly denies being one of Jesus' disciples. And a big clue that we find here is the words that he says when he says, I am not. In the original language in Greek, the phrase is this, auk emi, 
Auk and me, I am not. And this stands in direct contrast to language that Jesus uses. Gary Burge helped us last week see some of this language really helpfully. Throughout all of John's gospel, Jesus is using a phrase over and over and over again. And it's this phrase, ego and me. I am. And when Jesus uses that phrase, he's trying to cement his identity. So when Peter uses this phrase, auk emi, he's talking about who he is. This is Peter denying who he is. A core fundamental part of Peter's identity is what he's talking about here. This is more than just separating himself from Jesus. This is a fundamental part of who Peter is that he's trying to play off. That's what makes this so painful. Because Peter here denies being one of the vine's branches. That he denies being one of the great shepherd's sheep. That he denies being one of Jesus' very own. In this spot, with these words, Peter separates himself from Jesus, but he also separates himself from the community that Jesus was seeking to form. From those that Jesus prayed would be protected from the evil one. From those that Jesus was praying that they would be sanctified by the truth. Peter is separating himself from those that Jesus prayed would be unified by the Spirit. Who is Peter? Because of who Jesus is. That's what Peter's denying here. When he says, Auk and me, I am not. Peter is essentially saying this. I am not one of his, and I am not one of them. And when we come to this spot, I can't help but think of the many people that I know who have walked away from the church over the past handful of years. Many of these people have said before and likely would say still, I love Jesus, but I can't put up with his church anymore. My guess is that many of you know that story. And I can't help but wonder if this scene in John's telling of this story, if it's a challenge to those of us who might be tempted to separate ourselves from the community that Jesus sought to form, that Jesus sought to empower through the gift of the Holy Spirit. This part of the story makes me ask the question, is it possible to say, I am one of his, but I'm not one of them? Is that actually possible? The early church fathers, they returned to this question over and over and over again. And they uniformly came to a conclusion that went something like this. You can't love the head and hate the body. 
You can't love the head and hate the body. They took seriously this scene um, in the book of Acts when Saul, before he became the apostle Paul, Saul in Acts chapter 9, it says that he's breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Paul is seeking the people who are followers of the way. And as he's doing this, he has a dramatic encounter with Jesus. And those of you who remember the story, what, is, what happens? A voice booms from the heavens and it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting not his disciples? The voice doesn't say, why are you persecuting my disciples? The voice says, why are you persecuting me? As you persecute and separate yourself from them, you are persecuting me. And so the early church fathers and believers, they took that, that, this story seriously. And they understood this, that there is not an option in choosing one's commitment to either Jesus or his church. There's not an option. Christ loves his church, and so his followers Seek to love the church as well. And yes, I know. I know very well that the church always was and always will be imperfect and at times problematic. I know that. But when we come to this scene, I think we are being asked to consider whether it's possible to separate yourself from this imperfect band of disciples. For that matter, I think maybe this scene is telling us that to separate ourselves from this imperfect band of disciples is not neutral. It's not neutral. There's so much in this story that we could wrestle to the ground. I'm... I'm fascinated by the detail towards the end that has Peter standing in the courtyard with a bunch of officials around a fire warming himself. This is a really humanizing scene. It's really kind of a throwaway spot, but it's so easy to demonize and to vilify Peter for what he's done. But I see in that little spot this moment where Peter's just like you and me. He's a human. He's cold. He wants to be warm, just like all these others. I'm fascinated by the fact that this relative is there. I'm trying to imagine what might it have been like to be confronted by the relative of someone that you attacked just a little while before, who's asking you, hey, weren't you there? Didn't I see you? He said, didn't I see you in the garden? Like, what, how might that interaction have gone down? And then Peter's final denial. He denies being together with Jesus in the garden. The garden should be, like the dashboard lights should be blinking. The garden is a massive symbol throughout the whole biblical story. So when Jesus says no to being in the garden, this is significant. This garden, this place that Jesus likely went frequently with his disciples to seek God, to pray. And here's Peter denying having been in this intimate place, this place of meeting with Jesus. There's so much here. But I'm going to wrap up uh, with, I think, a, a really compelling question 
Again, I'm going to the church fathers. If you don't know at this point, um, I, I read almost exclusively dead guys. Um, I, I'm really fascinated with the sort of origin story of this thing we call the church. And so I'm fascinated by our long, long heritage. And there's a, there's a person that I would like to uh, talk about for just a minute here. His name is Cyril of Alexandria. Um, he was born in the mid-300s, died uh, late 300s, died mid 400s. He was a key figure in the church in Egypt. And Cyril did a big series of sermons on the book of John. And um, when it comes to this scene, Cyril asks this question about John, about this uh, Peter denying Jesus. Why is this in the Bible? He says, why is this in the Bible? Especially John's version, because we don't have this remorseful Peter at the end, right? The scene comes to an abrupt end. Peter does all these things, and as far as we know, uh, if this is the only story that, you, that, you're, that you're told, Peter just kind of goes about, like, no big deal. So Cyril's asking, why is this in the Bible? And I'm really compelled by his answer. So we're going to look at his answer here. Um, he gives this answer. The story is in the Bible, so that John's hearers might know that even the teachers of the world, that's what he calls these early disciples, the teachers of the world, to know what they were in themselves before Christ's resurrection and before the Holy Spirit descended upon them. We get an honest glimpse, an honest human glimpse of what these disciples were like before the life-altering events of the resurrection and Pentecost. But Cyril says, that's not all. He goes on, he says, and we also get a glimpse here of what they were thereafter when they had received the grace of the Spirit, which Christ called power from on high. So according to Cyril, this story for us should be an encouragement and to all future hearers and readers because anyone who has ever stumbled into the denial of Jesus' territory or anyone who's blatantly repeated what Peter did here. You ought to allow the fact that even those who were closest to Jesus gave in to temptation. But not only that, also be encouraged because that wasn't the end of the story. The spirit, the power from on high descended on these imperfect disciples and they were empowered and they were emboldened by Jesus' resurrection. Cyril continues with, I think this is a really helpful summary. Even the disciples, therefore, themselves were frail at first. But when they had received the spirit of God Almighty, they cast aside their native weakness and by communing with him attained to exceeding boldness. There is hope for the least bold among us. For the most tempted among us. For the most tentative and dishonest and easily persuaded. There is hope through the power of the Holy Spirit realized in our communion with Jesus. That's good news. 
Fast forward finally here uh, with me to Acts chapter 2. We find Peter again, a main character, standing before an enormous crowd of people. And what's Peter doing? He's boldly talking about Jesus, the one that he had previously denied. And Peter speaks these words. And they're even more powerful when we remember this scene in John. He says, repent, all who are far off, in the name of the Lord Jesus. All who are far off. Peter knew exactly what it was to be far off. He knew it all too well. But he also knew the healing and the restorative power of the forgiveness of Jesus. You hit the end of that section there in chapter 2 and we, we find these words that 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people who desired to be one of Jesus' disciples all because of the testimony of someone who denied being one of Jesus' disciples earlier in his life. That's a beautiful story. Friends, those of you who feel like you are far off, those who are worried that your words or actions might have disqualified you from any significant impact in the mission of God, those who suspect that you've done something that cannot be forgiven, be encouraged by the full life of this man called Peter. I saw this quote again last week in my Instagram account and I found it really comforting. If cauliflower can become pizza, you, my friend, can be anything. <clears throat> Through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I, given to us by our great shepherd, Jesus, we can be restored and continually made more and more into the likeness of Christ. The hero of the story is always Jesus. And the grace and the mercy given to all of us who are far off all of us who call on his name. I'm going to close together uh, by praying something with you. It's a, it's a prayer that's assigned to this day, the second Sunday of Lent. And I find it really moving and particularly attached to this text, to this teaching. I, I think it's really pertinent. And so I'm going to pray it over us first. Um, and then I'm going to invite you to speak it with me. So we're going to just pray here for a minute. If you want to close your eyes, um, receive these words, and then we'll speak them together. Oh God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious. Be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts 
and with steadfast faith to embrace and to hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus Christ, your son, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God forever and ever. And amen. amen. Let's, let's pray that together uh, before we come to the table. Oh God, whose glory it is always to have mercy. Be gracious. From your ways. Bring them back with penitent hearts and steadfast faith. Embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word. Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you in the Holy Spirit lives in our lives forever.